Welcome to the Isakos podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lyman, here with my co-host, Dr. Robert Marks. And we're here to talk today about the Isakos newsletter, 2021, volume one. Welcome to the show, Bob. Nice to have you back. Thanks for having me. So in this issue of the newsletter, we finally made it to 2021. We're now looking at the world reopening and anticipating hopefully really nice things to come in Issacos and around the world this year. You wrote a short editorial about the pandemic uh, to open up the newsletter. Do you have anything you'd like to comment about that? It was written a little while ago now. So uh, I think that things are further along and we're starting to see it a little more in the rear view mirror, although new cases are, are continuing. Um, I think that we can see the future a little brighter and uh, certainly the Congress in Cape Town in November of, of this year is looking quite good for in-person Congress, possibly one of the first in-person Congresses, and certainly it'll be my first international in-person meeting, which I'm really looking forward to as more and more of us are vaccinated, uh, more people are vaccinated worldwide, and certainly by then, hopefully that'll be even more the case. I couldn't agree more. I think we're all looking forward to that. And it's especially interesting from my perspective with Isakos being such an international organization that all of these different countries are at different points in their recovery with the vaccine rollout and with how they've managed their uh, caseloads and that sort of thing. So it'd be really interesting to see we are, where we are in November. Uh, and hopefully a lot of us will be able to safely travel to the Congress uh, and see each other for the first time in far too long. Yeah, I'm sure there will still be um, a lot of precautions at that time, but it should be pretty warm, allowing for uh, outside gatherings and um, still quite a, quite a few months away to make some big progress, hopefully, around the world. Agreed, agreed. Dr. Van Dyke also wrote uh, Jisikos editor-in-chief's message for the newsletter, and that was really a reflection on how much more productive orthopedic surgeons have been with publishing uh, during the pandemic. With a lot more free time, they've been able to, to do quite a bit of writing. I think that's been uh, reflected across uh, all journals. Um, you know, people always have a little backlog, certainly clinicians do, of, of academic work to get done. And certainly the couple of months where we were totally shut down enabled people to focus on that. And even beyond, I think uh, people's lives have a little more spare time uh, to allow them to uh, complete academic work and focus on um, submissions for publication. So it's really helped, I think, the Issacos Journal as well as other journals. I can certainly attest to that. I have never been busier with my workload at HSS than during the heart of the pandemic when all of the surgeons were idle and had plenty of time to get work done. So that was a fun experience for sure. And uh, to acknowledge this, actually, that the Journal of Issacos is offering a best paper award, $1,000, which will be awarded at the Issacos uh, Congress in Cape Town. So that's a nice incentive for people who have managed to be productive this year. Exactly. I think you and I are both hopeful that the Congress will actually happen 
the society being so international, I think really is one of the challenges, but one of the opportunities to actually have maybe a hybrid where we have some in-person and some uh, remote viewers. Uh, I mean, Issacos has members in 98 countries, uh, over 3,000 members worldwide, which is just remarkable to think of orthopedic surgeons from 98 different countries all being part of the organization, really a testament to the growth and the inc inclusiveness of Issacos, I think. Yeah, I suspect there'll be an increase in um, remote access to Congresses in the future, although there's really nothing like being there and seeing people and discussing with colleagues in person. So look forward to being there, but probably will have more access online, I would think, to teaching. Yeah, I would imagine, imagine that as well. But I, I would certainly echo that. I think my professional relationships through Issacos have just really changed the way I think about orthopedics generally. And I, I learned so much at each Congress and it's so nice to see old friends and colleagues and catch up. And I'm sure we could all do with, with that sort of camaraderie uh, after the, after this long period of, uh, of being on hold. Definitely. It's funny to me how this issue in particular seems almost like an, like a medical journal. It's got quite a bit of technical work in it. And uh, there was one piece in particular about the, I don't, I'm probably gonna mispronounce this, the aclo-subvastus approach for total knee arthroplasty as a technique article. Do you, can you comment on that at all? Yeah, I think, um, you know, our goal with the newsletter is to appeal to our readership, which is uh, you know, our members who are by and large, uh, you know, orthopedic surgeons focusing on uh, knee arthroscopy and orthopedic uh, sports medicine. So um, this article in particular is a, um, uh, a technique for exposure and total knee replacement using a, a subvastus approach, which uh, minimizes uh, the arthrotomy and, and elevates the, uh, the vastus musculature, which uh, typically uh, doesn't give quite the same exposures, a standard medial parapatellar arthrotomy. Uh, but with their technique, you can see in the photographs, the exposure is actually tremendous. So it is a technique that, that I, uh, I really haven't used in practice. I learned it uh, as a resident, uh, but haven't used it in practice because of the um, somewhat decreased exposure, but certainly uh, with their um, method, you can certainly uh, expose the knee beautifully. Hmm. Yeah, I tried not to look at the pictures. Uh, you may recall it the only time I've ever been in an OR for a total knee arthroplasty. It was one of your patients, and I've never felt the need to go back. Uh, I don't remember there's that. a reason I'm not a <laughs> reason I'm not a surgeon. <laughs> word, but I don't remember that. But uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, certainly, I, I really enjoy studying and researching orthopedic procedures. Uh, I'm less interested in observing them uh, or thinking too carefully about what's being done. <laughs> but, uh, and then our, our very good friend, Norimasa Nakamura uh, from Osaka co-authored uh, an article on the osteochondral lesion with regard to management options now and going forward. And I know that's something he's very interested in is, is cartilage repair techniques and that sort of thing. I thought this was a, uh, a great overview for those interested in cartilage defects in the knee. They really present um, you know, all 
you know, management strategies for cartilage defects and also with a view to the future. So I thought it was a, a very interesting piece and certainly Nori uh, is uh, at the forefront of uh, uh, evolving uh, cartilage repair strategies and his input uh, certainly as you know, former president of the uh, ICRS um, is, is valued for our society as well. Shifting gears, there was a nice piece, I think, on hamstring injury prevention, which I really like this aspect of Isikos. It's not just about surgery. It's also about how to prevent the need for time off for athletes. And this seems like a nice example of that. Yeah, I, I'm, I've always been um, very interested myself in, in injury prevention, more so from, for myself with, with ACL injury prevention, because it's such a devastating injury with long-term consequences. But also hamstring injuries uh, can be, uh, the, the incidence can be reduced uh, with proper training. And certainly for, for athletes uh, in sports that, that require, you know, running or really uh, e even, you know, any, any sport really, almost any sport, you can injure your hamstring. Uh, and, um, you know, time off due to a hamstring injury uh, can really uh, be devastating for the athlete and, and, and the team. So I think it, you, as we become more aware of these strategies and techniques for injury prevention or injury reduction, I think it's important to raise awareness. And I think it was a, a well done article on this topic. Very nice. I'll have to read that because I don't really want any hamstring injuries myself. Why not? I think uh, shifting gears once again, there was an article on an area that you and I have done research in, and that's in hip arthroscopy. And this was a study looking at complications following hip arthroscopy. And you and I both know that a lot of surgeons don't really like talking about the complications after, after arthroscopic surgery. So I thought this was a, a useful piece as well. Yeah, I think in general, there are not as many articles about complications as there could be perhaps. Um, possibly because it's not terribly fun to talk about our, our complications. Of course, uh, if you do surgery, you're going to have complications. It's a fact. But, um, you know, reporting them is not always, and, and drawing attention to them is not always something we want to do. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, learning from our complications is a way to reduce the, uh, the, the number and reduce the severity and being aware of uh, things that can happen and how they can happen and go wrong is really critical, I think, uh, for surgeons. So I think um, drawing attention to complications is important. I think we could always do a better job of that. And uh, that's why I think this article uh, has a nice place. Hip arthroscopy also is a relatively new procedure. You know, maybe it's really gained popularity the last, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years and even more so maybe the last, uh, you know, five or 10. So um, uh, I think uh, bringing attention to uh, potential problems is important for our readership as more and more of society members become interested and, and, and perform this technique. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just for perspective, they found 3.3% uh, of their hip arthroscopies had a complication. That's over 36,000 cases which really it's, it's not zero, but it's also very low relative to, as we know, some open procedures which have much higher complication rates. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it depends how we define complications and 
how they're you know reported and tracked. But uh, I agree that does sound uh, quite low. There was also what caught my eye as an epidemiologist was this uh, review of ACL reconstruction in 2020, which was a worldwide survey of surgeons to see how different regions of the world or different countries around the world manage ACL injury differently. And as, as an epidemiology, that's right up, epidemiologist, that's right up my alley. What did you think about that? It's interesting as an international society to see the variability in people's uh, uh, techniques and, and approaches in general. So this kind of highlights uh, that, how we have uh, members from so many uh, places around the world and how things are actually very similar in some respects. Uh, but at the same time, there is uh, uh, international variability in terms of how people approach problems uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, the big one that stood out for me was uh, the use of hamstring, which in other regions of the world range from about 75% to 90% hamstring use. But then in North America, it was just 25%. And that's a huge difference. So that really stood out to me. Yeah, well, I think it also uh, depends on the patient population. Um, and maybe even the surgeons you survey and even geographic areas within the United States, there, you know, certainly centers or surgeons who prefer one graft choice over another. Um, and um, I think it for in my in my hands, it depends on the patient because I use different graphs. But I think the good news is for patients that were um, the word is is getting out more and more that allograft has a higher failure rate allograft being used more, most in the United States, a lot of places around the world, it's less available or not available. And I think we're recognizing the higher failure rate and that the use of allograft is, is decreasing uh, here. Mm -hmm. uh, shifting gears once again, there was, uh, as you know, I do a lot of work with registry data. So there's an interesting perspective on interpreting registry data and its effect on a surgeon's decision to change implants. We know every so often with, uh, especially with, with total knee arthroplasty or total hip arthroplasty, there'll be a, an implant that has a higher complication or failure rate, and then there's a shift away from it. But it was interesting to hear, see this surgeon's perspective on how he makes those decisions. Yeah, I think that may be one of the most valuable uh, contributions of registries is to pick up um, early problems with, with uh, implants and joint replacement. And uh, I think that's you know, a critical contribution, and this article uh, helps uh, focus us on that. And then finally, I think that's something that perhaps is not talked about or not studied as much is uh, the management of distal clavicle fractures, which I guess can be tricky. So it's nice to see a nice overview of that uh, in, in the newsletter. Yeah, you know, it's certainly uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, don't need surgery if they're not displaced, but um, a displaced distal clavicle fracture, depending on the type can be, you know, hard to fix because uh, there's not much bone there and it's um, sometimes not good quality or could be comminuted. So, uh, you know, a difficult management problem and a, a comprehensive overview of these strategies I thought was, uh, was uh, nice. Yeah, all in all, some nice contributions. And I certainly encourage ISACOS members to have a look, uh, whether you get it in the mail or you can find it on the ISACOS website. And uh, Dr. Marks, any other reflections you'd like to make on this issue or any other topics front of mind for you? Uh, 
just that um, you know the other thing in the issue uh, focuses on the content of our meeting in uh, Cape Town, which looks you know really impressive. The amount of presentations, the geographic uh, variety in terms of the presenters, and also the symposia instructional courses covering you know everything you could think of in in orthopedic sports medicine, knee surgery, and arthroscopy, and so. Um, been a long time we've been uh, cooped up i'm looking forward to uh visiting south africa never been there but it's really been at the top of my list for a very long time and i've been looking forward to this congress for a while so i'm really uh, uh hopeful and optimistic uh, that uh we're gonna have a great meeting i also am looking forward to visiting south africa which i also have never been never been to the african continent so that is certainly something i'm looking forward to a couple of highlights that i saw from the current uh, agenda for the Congress or the pr for the program. Uh, there's a 25th anniversary symposium, which is really going to be, it sounds like a deep dive into how Isakos was created, sort of the origin story, which I think could be certainly interesting to uh, younger members. And then there will also be a session on how to get published, which I think is, it's always a very popular session at Isakos. You can come and listen to journal editors talk about best practices in, in getting published because, again, I'm sure for younger surgeons, they probably struggle with uh, figuring out how to write these articles in a way that it's going to get them into a journal to help with their career promotion and that sort of thing. So should be a nice, nice uh, program for sure. Looking forward to seeing you there. Well, thank you all for joining us on the Isakos podcast. This was, again, our overview, a review of the 2021 Volume 1 Isakos newsletter. I'm Stephen Lyman, along with Dr. Robert Marks, and we wish you a happy and healthy day.